0: Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shoe Talk, I have a conversation with Golden Harper. Golden is the founder of Ultra Footwear, and it's a treat to have some time with him to talk about the world of footwear, the story of Ultra, the path he took to creating a global footwear brand, and some of the friction that he faced along the way. Really enjoyed the conversation with Golden, and hope that you do too. This episode of the show is brought to you by our first official footwear product released at TFC called the FC 0.5. Our aim was pretty simple create a piece of footwear designed for movement shaped like the foot and price it at 50 bucks Canadian while shipping it to your door in an envelope. The shoe is officially released on October 2nd and if you want to grab a pair you can visit disruptfootwear.com and check out details about those. We also offer a limited amount of pairs each month as part of our te- field testing squad and if you use the shoes for four weeks and fill out our feedback survey we'll give you a 50% refund on what you paid for the shoes. This episode of the show is also brought to you by TFC's global health community called Beam Tribe. We feel that the pursuit of health is a team sport, and our mission with Beam Tribe was to create a platform that connects like-minded humans from around the world who value making daily progress on their health journey. The platform is loaded with videos created by our Beam team, which where we share our experience when it comes to things like overcoming injuries, creating a daily meditation practice, how to resolve back pain or knee pain, and even how to restore an arch if you've been, if you've been told you have flat feet. If you head to beamtribe.com, you'll be able to see samples of the videos that we offer. And if you want full access, you can join the community at beamtribe.com as well. This episode of the show is also brought to you by our, our by The Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this Canadian company offers a great service that gets you fresh beans to your door each month. And if you check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get 7 bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases. They make awesome protective cases in Canada that can keep your electronics and precious gear safe during travel. And if you go to nanook.com, you'll be able to see what they offer. That's it for sponsors. So let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome to today's episode of Shoe Talk. And my guest today is Golden Harper, who is the creator and founder of Ultra, the Ultra Shoe brand. And I'm really stoked for today's conversation. Um, Golden and I connected through the Healthy Foot Alliance and, uh, after hearing him talk a few uh, on a few of the calls that we had, I thought he would be an awesome guest to have on the show if I could convince him to give us 90 minutes of his time and here we are. So Golden, thank you for taking the time and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you.
1: Long time listener. Always wanted to come on. So excited to be here.
0: Very cool. Very cool, man. Well, um, you know, I, I've been watching a few, uh, videos of some of the talks that you've done in the past. And I learned a lot of really cool things. So I'll uh, kind of splice those in as we have a chat. But, um, you know, we'll get into everything footwear and Altra shortly. But why don't you start by just telling people a bit about Golden? You know, what you love, what motivates you, uh, and sort of what makes you keep doing what you're doing? Oh, geez.
1: Uh, (laughs) Very general, Uh, but anything you want. Yeah, I'm a trail and outdoor person. I love to be outdoors, love to be out on the trails. Uh, Doesn't doesn't really matter if that's... uh, you know, running, backpacking, hiking, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding, you know, you name it.
2: Um, nice. I, I like
1: to be outside doing good stuff. Um, you know, my, my family and, and my faith are probably the most important things in my life. And, uh, you know, beyond that, like, uh, as an extension of that, being able to make a difference in the world, uh, and to be able to help people is, um, you know, really what I believe in trying to do and, uh, you know, what, what I'm trying to accomplish. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love hearing from people like, Hey, you changed my life. You made my life better. Um, and so taking, taking time to make that happen for people is, is a big part of it. And, and luckily I've been able to do that. A lot of that through ultra uh, and, and more so through the education that comes along with um, you know, things that are ex- natural extensions of ultra such as, you know, healthy f- uh, foot function and also proper running technique and injury prevention stuff. So that's, that's kind of uh, you know, uh, me in a nutshell, I guess.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love that. And I I think it can be, I think it really shows in companies and brands when the person who's sort of at the helm um, is continuing to prioritize doing what they love, like being outdoors, being an, uh, an outdoors person, um, hiking, running, whatever it might be. Because as you get deeper into a, a bigger and bigger company, I'm sure it's getting more difficult to find the time uh, to be able to prioritize those things. But the funny thing is, I feel that prioritizing those things is actually what continues to make the company special. Um, and, uh, and I can definitely, you know, yeah, it's one of those things where it's almost a catch 22, but where the bigger thing you're doing, the more, the more difficulty can come with that. But I think when you get positive feedback from people, it's just like, you know, like I always compare it to like the NOS in cars, it's like you're running out of fuel and you're slowing down. And then all of a sudden you get a, a shot of extra fuel where people are like, you just changed, you completely changed my running life, or you've made wonders for my health. And that's just like an extra boost to keep going. So totally. um, yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was good. I had a couple of different directions uh, of how to kind of kick this off. But I think the most suitable one, mostly because I have a personal interest in it as well, is let's start with, and I'm sure you've told this story a hundred times, so feel free to be as brief or as elaborate as you want, but the story of Ultra, right? Like for someone who's listening to this um, and might not be familiar with Ultra. you know, what is Ultra, um, And also go through sort of the origin story of like, why did it get created and how it came to be where it is today? Well, that's 90 minutes right there. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's keep it a little bit shorter so we have time for other stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's complicated, and uh, you know, I uh, I've been running since I was a, a very little kid. Um, I heard you I, ran before
0: you walked. Is this true?
1: Yeah, so my parents read these studies that uh, the longer children uh, crawl, the more intelligent they'll be. So they just my parents always pushed me down, They'd never let me uh, walk. <laughs> That's tough love. Yeah, right. And then you know the story goes like they set me outside the car one day. I was pretty old, you know, and and there's a bunch of kids playing over at the, uh, you know, merry-go-round or whatever. And I apparently just took off running because I built up all this strength from standing and getting a first step in as I get pushed down and whatnot. (laughs) So yeah, the stories I ran before, my parents were putting on races, uh, like 30 races a year at the time. So at age two, I was racing regularly, Hmm. um, which sounds freaking ridiculous. Um, uh, By age eight, I'm, you know, I've won the world youth championships. I'm begging to run my first marathon, um, you know, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, my parents finally let me run my first marathon at age 10. I ran marathons up until, you know, doing cross country in in high school. Uh, and you know, I, I like to say I peaked then, so it's kind of been all downhill ever since (laughs) I'll I'll never top what I did running marathons as a kid, uh, from a success level. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been all downhill from keeps it, keeps you humble, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, but it, you know, we also, uh, I grew up in shoes. My dad was working for Nike when I was born, um, mm-hmm. sock most of my childhood, we opened a running store when I was nine. I started working there at that time. I started getting left there alone between ages 10 and 11 at times. Wow.
2: Um,
1: and I really had to know my stuff. And by the time I went off to college, I was kind of like, this is all bull crap. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything like I do to sell people shoes, like we don't get any formal training. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't, uh, you know, no one's teaching us any science behind footwear besides the shoe companies. And clearly there's a conflict of interest there. Mm -hmm. Um, And frankly, what they're telling us to tell people isn't working. You know, uh, depending on the stats, you know, a huge percentage of runners get injured every year. Um, and for me as a shoe salesman, it was really obvious to me, most people come in to buy new shoes because something hurts. Right. Um, and most people should be coming in to buy new shoes because they wore their shoes out because they're running so dang much, (laughs) Um, you know? And so for me going off to college was like, I'm going to study this stuff. Like, and, and I, I wanted to pursue it through the path of being a doctor really, um, of some sort, uh, whether that be physical therapy or athletic training or, um, you know, who knows what, but, Uh, You know, my goal was like, I want to get into the research and I want to be able to come back to this running store that I've been managing now, you know, I I started managing the store at age 18. Um, And I I want to come back to the store armed with all this knowledge and science and research of how to actually help my customers best. Mm -hmm. How do I help them to not be injured, you know? Um, because if they're not injured, they're running more. And if they're running more, they're buying more shoes. And if they're buying more shoes, right. that's really good for my running store. Um, and they're and those, come back and to
0: those interests are aligned, right? Like healthy people run more. People who run more buy more shoes. That's a good alignment of interest.
1: And there's very few win-win-wins in life like that. Usually you're taking away from something. Um, in this case, you know, I guess you're taking away from the the doctors who are treating these injured runners. Maybe. <laughs> Uh, But for the most part, the runner is winning because they're not injured and they're, they're running more. The store is winning because the runner is buying more things from them because they appreciate that that's happening. And and obviously they're going through more shoes. So that was really like my thought process of going off to college was like, let's, let's do this. Let's get all the science and research. And, you know, I don't care what shoe companies say, what, what's really happening here. And then how do we apply it on a really practical level?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Because,
1: you know, I'm a science geek for sure. But at the same time, I listen to most people that understand science talk and they don't understand people. Uh, They they don't know how to distill the message into a way that your average ordinary person that comes into a store to buy a pair of shoes can understand. Um, That's what shoe companies do. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't understand the science, but they understand how to communicate uh, the market. And so for me, it was like, I want to be able to do both of these things. I come from the shoe company um, you know, running shoe store uh, side of things. Um, but I'm disillusioned by it. And I want to take all of this awesome information and science that's out there and make it, um, you know, make it work for real people and make it ap- applicable and easy for them on an everyday basis.
0: Yeah. So. And I, I think the, the fact that you were literally running a business before you even went to college, I think is such a it's so rare these days, right? Like most people go into college hoping to figure out something that they want to do when they leave, going in with, a, with an understanding and a perspective of running a business, being in a business, um, and understanding the product fairly deeply from an experience point of view, from a user point of view, um, allows you to have a totally different lens when you go into college. Cause you actually, and that's probably why most of the stuff seems like bull crap because a lot of it isn't just, isn't relevant, right? Like there's a lot of fluff and you almost have to know what you're looking for in order to find the gems buried under all that fluff. And I think that that's really, that's really cool. And I, I, I wish more people had the mindset that it's okay to just see what you actually want to do and what you're interested in and then go to college with an understanding of this is why I want to learn this. This isn't just what I'm learning. It's why I want to learn it. And yeah. the whole thing about scientists being disconnected from not only how to communicate with people, but I, I think just natural body function. Like I went to the, the footwear biomechanics symposium. It was like an international symposium in Calgary. Um, and they were all scientists, some of the best, most amazing scientists in the world. And I was walking around barefoot and I got so many confused looks and so many. And then I looked at most people's shoes at a footwear biomechanics symposium, the best scientists in the world. And they were literally destroying their feet. And I was just like, I, I think I just have to answer questions as they come and not <laughs> place any judgment. Cause I'm just, I'm outnumbered here. <laughs> and like I sat on the floor and people are like, like people will come up to me it was mostly the younger people, the older people just thought I was probably some crazy dude that broke in or something like that. Um, yeah. and they're like, why aren't you wearing shoes? And, and I, I, I got that question so many times that it became an experiment for me to say something different every time and see what reactions I got. And the one, one is, I landed why on, why do I need to wear shoes? <laughs> well, the one I landed on was I don't wear shoes indoors. Yeah, and then I would just pause really uncomfortably long and see what they said, and it was interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. there you go. I don't wear shoes <laughs> indoors either, you know, right. unless the floor is like really dirty. It's a public place. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay, so
0: you go to you go to college. And when you're done college, do you go back to running the store? And sort of what, what happens from there? I know there's a toaster oven involved, but I don't know. Yeah, at what point.
1: yeah so, well, actually what happened, so I, I took um, like nine years to graduate a four-year degree. Yes, <laughs> Because <laughs> you probably uh, lived
0: while you were there instead of just like being dug into books.
1: Totally. Well, I, So what happened is I'm like a year out from graduating and I get this opportunity to go to Hawaii. There's this professor there that helped build this toe weightlifting machine Hmm. because him and this other guy back in the day had done all this research showing that the biggest difference between the Kenyans and us was that the Kenyans just had way stronger feet than we did particularly you know their toe strength was like off the charts higher than us like 10 times higher I I can't remember the exact figure and so he these guys had developed this weightlifting machine for your toes (laughs) and I actually grew up with one of the only 10 of these in the world, I had two of them at my house because that's who my dad is. My dad's a <laughs> that's awesome. research junkie, right? Like my dad was one of the, you know, all of 13 subscribers to running research news all through the eighties and nineties. Um, and so I, I get to go, you know, out to Hawaii and I get to spend time with this Finnish researcher, Yoke Kokonen, who ran the, um, the uh, biomechanics and kinesiology and kinematics um, at the university. And I end up staying two years. Nice. And uh, while I'm there, I'm surrounded by 300-pound Hawaiians walking around barefoot or in slippers. Um, slippers? <laughs> yeah, slippers. And, you know, flip-flops for the uninitiated. Uh, and they, you know, they're overweight obviously, or they're just giant people. They're, you know, a lot of them are are pronating like mad, you know, and you got to remember, I'm a kid that was raised in a running store in the early nineties when anti-pronation was at its apex. And I mean, these people were doing everything I had ever been told was just an absolute problem, you know? So, and I I was already disillusioned to that to a bit, but still, you know, I'm like, I uh, I gotta help these people, you know? And, <laughs> you know. But you're not gonna like go up to a 300 pound Hawaiian guy and you know rebuke him on the spot. So I, I you know I'd, I'd get to know people, and as I get right. to know, them, I'm like, so 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 tell me do your feet hurt, you know? And they'd they'd always just look at me and they'd be like, no bro. And I'd be like, nah, come on, like. <laughs> You're a big guy. You walk around, you don't wear supportive shoes. Like, you walk around barefoot or in slippers all day. You overpronate like mad. Like, just tell me about your foot pain it's cool, you know. And uh and they're just like, "No bro, my feet don't hurt." You know. They, they don't hurt, bro. And stop and asking like, me, bro. Okay. No, for real. And so it's like I got to do some more research on this, right? And mm-hmm. you know, this is pre like barefoot and minimalism. Uh and uh you, so, so I do, I, I started doing that and, and I started going barefoot a lot as well. Um, so, uh, and I had been doing some barefoot before going out there, but I start running on the beach barefoot. I'm running up to hundred miles a week, running collegiate cross country there as well. You know, I might add, uh, and I'm doing, I'm doing 90 minute runs on the beach barefoot. Talk mm-hmm. about like getting buff feet, right. And calves. Uh, and you know, it's, it's going great. But so I end up doing all this research and I get really interested on the foot side because for me the the focus had always been, you know, somewhat, you know, a lot on plantar fascia issues because it's so much of what we see at the running store level. Mm -hmm. Um, but beyond that, it was more like running technique, biomechanics, um, you know, injury prevention for typical common running injuries. And now I'm adding in this like whole idea of like, how come these Hawaiians don't have feet that hurt? And lo and behold, you know, you go do the research and there's a billion people on the planet that don't wear modern shoes and, and they have like no chronic foot conditions, you know, bunions, neuromas, plantar fascia issues, non-existent, like, not well, there. I think
0: I think I pulled up a 2013 talk of yours and you said that 70% of shoe wearing people have foot pain, three percent of non-shoe wearing people cultures uh, have foot pain. And it's like those are some pretty profound numbers. Well, and the interesting
1: thing is the 73%, that's reported. That that's an right, American right. that means right. they took the time to say, like, I'm hurting bad enough that I'm going to reach out and tell right. you. You know, so they either walked into a doctor's office, a shoe store. Like unbearable foot a survey. pain. Right. It's, it's enough that they're willing to talk about it. The 3% of people in the, um, in the unshod world, uh, that, that have pain, uh, that's when the doctor or the researchers go in and beg them to tell them about their foot pain. Um, and there's a, there's a very clear line of delineation between the types of foot pain too. The 73% of us in America that have foot pain, um, you know, it's, it's by and large chronic, mm-hmm. it's long-term. It's, it's, it's for a lifetime, you know, right. it, uh, the 3% of people in the, you know, that don't wear modern shoes or the billion people on the planet that don't wear modern shoes that, that do have some foot pain. It's like, I stepped on something sharp. I got <laughs> a cactus, right. uh, you know, I got fungus, like, you know, it's yeah. stupid crap. It's acute foot pain. It, it's yeah. here today. It's gone in a week. Um, very different types of foot pain, you know, hmm. uh, not anything that we think of as foot pain, we just right. think of it as dumb, you know, it's yeah, like, that's yeah, I dropped drop something on my foot. And so, yeah, I I my toe. Oh yeah, foot pain. Yeah, exactly. So very critical kind of difference there. So this is the kind of stuff like I'm learning. Um, and so I come back to the shoe store with all this stuff in my head and now I've got shoe companies like preaching their propaganda to me and I'm like, yeah, that's scientific bullcrap. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. You know? and pretty soon i'm like i i don't know that i have anything here to sell that i really believe in like interesting you know um and that's a really tough spot to be in and to to really understand where where i'm coming from you have to understand my father who was a you know baseball player basically drafted to play pro ball for the angels um football player blew out his knee in a in a horrific football injury unhappy triad on his knee so just you know blew out everything zero cartilage uh, between uh, in his knee, so just absolute bone on bone, and the doctors, you know, obviously a career killer, um, mm. big life change because you're you're not going to be playing pro baseball anymore, um, right. and not making all that money, and um, you know the doctors are like you're never going to walk
0: normal again, and you're certainly
1: mm. never going to run again.
0: Doctors are so are so easy to say those kinds of things, and I think like uh, just as a small tangent, I hear so many people that were told things by health professionals that are extremely deterministic of like this is what's going to happen you are never going to be able to do this you're never going to walk normal whatever and it's you know it sucks that doctors say that but also half the time people are like want to bet watch this and then they actually use that as fuel because it's so it just always boggles my mind how the understanding of how language affects people and how you explain things is seemingly is an optional course in anything medicine or or health related and it's like really really weird
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in this case, it was 50 years ago ish, you know, so it was a little more justified and, um, you know, uh, and your points are all true. And and to your point, um, you know, my dad gets a postcard in the mail with his buddy from from their dad um, or from his buddy's dad. And it says, if you guys are real men, you'll do this. And this is a guy who's started jumping off hundred foot cliffs and, and jumping off 90 feet cliffs into six feet of water to prove that he's a real man and walking <laughs> through the walls and setting bench press records. And like, you know, if, if I can't play baseball and football, I'll be a man in other ways, you know?
0: Right, right. And,
1: um, and this postcard comes, if you're a real man, you'll do this. And they flip the postcard over and it's Las Vegas marathon. Oh, nice. And it's like, Oh crap. Like I've been told I'll never run again. i you know, I, I, I don't even walk normal. I walk with a big blimp right. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, I'm a real man. <laughs> um, yeah, what does any
0: guy say? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> and it's catastrophic for him. Like, you know, for the, mm. for the first time in his life, he's not good at something athletic. He's the worst, you know, right. he barely finishes one of the last people in the race. It's, it's an absolute disaster. Um, and of, of course he's like, let's do it again. Like mm. you know, it pissed him off and it motivated him. Like, I got to figure this out. And he goes through like a half a dozen marathons and, you know, tell stories of laying in the gutter and, you know, crawling across the finish line and excruciating pain. And just, it's just, it's just an absolute disaster for him. Hmm. And, you know, uh, eventually what happened, he sees a group of Kenyans running and he's like, Oh my gosh, they float. We all crash down the road. Those dudes float. Hmm. Uh, I'll bet if I taught myself how to run like them, my knee wouldn't hurt so bad.
0: Wow. You know? Good for your dad.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Kind of amusing. Cause you got a guy that's, you know, five, Five nine, two hundred and forty 240 pounds uh, of solid <laughs> muscle, but, uh, trying to teach himself how to run like a Kenyan. But, you know, to, to shorten the story, seven years later, he's done just that. He wins the St. George marathon. He runs two hours, 22 minutes. Um, wow. he becomes a top ranked, you know, runner in the nation and, and he does it all still with no cartilage in his knee, absolute grinding bone on bone, you know, uh, but he's able to take pressure off of his knee by learning to run in a natural way Mm -hmm. um and frankly run the way humans have always run throughout time right up until about you know the 1960s shocker um (laughs) so um so when you came into our running store you got a lesson on how to run you got a lesson on how to protect your knees while you run and so what really happened to start ultra is all this stuff that we've just talked about is is floating around in my head the foot health stuff the injury prevention stuff the technique stuff we just talked about and we, we start f- filming people running because high speed video became available commercially for like not rich people for the first time ever. Right. Um, and so we're seeing, we're filming people slow motion really clearly. And, um, and again, we're giving everybody a lesson on how to run, but we, we, uh, we also become the first running store in North America to carry fi- five fingers. They're, they're brand new out mm-hmm. and you know, there's, there's still boat shoes at this point in time, you know, they're like, what are you going to sell them t- for? And we're like, Oh, runners, you know, they're like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and uh, ironic of course, because of what happened later, but you know, we're right. selling them as this like foot strengthening and form training tool. Um, to use a couple times a week. And, and we really want to see what effect they're having on people. So we're watching people run in five fingers uh, on slow motion video. And we're like, Oh, that'd that'd be interesting. Let's, let's see what they look like with their shoes on. So we put on the shoes. We just sold them as well. And most people were selling a pair of five fingers and a pair of regular running shoes. Hmm. And lo and behold, within five minutes, we're both kind of Like like doing this thing where we're like, Oh no. Like,
0: a second hawaiian moment where you're like you're yeah, oh, no. like,
1: well and i just remember like my dad saying something along the lines of like i teach everybody a lesson on how to protect their body when they come in here and then i sell them a pair of shoes that undoes everything i've taught them every single time they go running in that Interesting. shoe um, and that was like that was the moment of like that was the oh crap moment you know mm-hmm. where it's like you know where we both kind of looked at each other like are we really helping people here Um, we're selling people a product that's, that's actually undoing. And yet, you know, we'd both worked in shoes our whole lives. We knew that very few people were willing to run barefoot, um, truly, truly run barefoot or even in five fingers, not only able to willing to, um, able to do it on the pavement. Um, which I, I make an argument is an unnatural thing to be doing. Humans Mm -hmm. just did not, we, we as humans were not created to, run on a perfectly hard flat man-made surface um for for long miles but without you know that that's just not what we were built to do our muscle yeah. structure isn't set up for it our feet aren't set up for it you name it um
0: i agree good. with the uniformity i mean flat surfaces are not natural by innately right no and our I body's mean,
1: just not built to handle them
0: period. right so. exactly this repetitive almost like a monoculture of of input from the ground is yeah you're right I, I I mean I would put a stick in the fact that we can run on hard surfaces Agreed. but I, th- I think I think the true point is that roads are unnatural they are inherently unnatural and I would argue that the biggest reason for that is the lack of uh, variety and texture the lack of angles and I know that you're a big fan of running on uneven surfaces because yep that is how we're supposed to run yeah absolutely yeah totally
1: um And so that, that was kind of the moment where it was like, all right. And so I get looking at the way shoes are built and nothing like this is published back then. Drop isn't a term. I
0: created it. (laughs) I learned (laughs) that. And I was like, Oh shit, that's amazing. (laughs) Cause I I never would have thought that you would have created, I thought it would have been some scientist. And I was like, when I learned that I was like, that's amazing. So thank you for gifting that to us.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you about it in a minute, but, but when you really hear how the term drop came to be, you're like, okay, that makes a lot of sense, you know? um it, it's very simple but um so that was the moment and so i started looking at the way shoes are built and you know it becomes really obvious like you just take a shoe and like balance it on your you know on your finger and shoes are heck a much you know they're way more heavy in the back half of the shoe yes um and also it's like you know i get looking at there they're a lot thicker in the back half of the shoe and also, all the cool cushioning technology stuff is in the back half. Of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like everything is back there. And, you know, obviously it comes from a culture of Bowerman being like, okay, I want you to lengthen your stride and runners are like, ow, I land on my heels when I do that. That hurts. Okay. Let me find you shoes that, that soften the blow. So, right. And I'm trying to create the fastest shoes possible. So let's only put the cushioning underneath the heel. And, you know, it kind of goes from there. Um, which is well-intentioned initially, right? Like totally it's a,
0: well-intentioned. Absolutely. I think most you things know. that are now doing us a disservice were initially well-intentioned. We just have to yeah. be, have the wherewithal to see like, okay, well, we're beyond that now. We know better now. And yeah, yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I get looking at it and so I have this theory watching people run. What you see when you see people run slow motion on a treadmill barefoot or not on a treadmill is their foot stays relatively parallel to the ground and their foot lands underneath a bent knee. And you kind of use this big three foot coiled spring from your hip all the way down to your toes to absorb impact. Mm -hmm. Um, The foot gets in the game. The ankle gets in the game. The knees get in the game. The hip gets in the game. Yeah. It's a team sport. Um, It's a team sport. Yeah. And, and then you watch people run, you know, we're watching people run in the shoes we're selling them, frankly, and none of that's happening. In fact, what happens is the foot swings out in front of the body, the toes pop up, the heel drops down. So the foot dorsiflexes. Um, And then because you know, and my theory was like, well, yeah, that's because the shoe's a lot heavier in the back half. Um, you know, there, there's more weight in the back half of the shoe. And so when that foot swings out in front of the body, that weight is naturally going to cause the heel to sink and pop the toes up in the air.
0: And even and if then, your foot comes down flat, if the heel is thicker, you're automatically going to engage the ground first with your heel, even if your foot itself is flat. So you train yourself to rely on that more and more. And it's such a,
1: yeah, yeah it's very
0: precisely. Interesting.
1: So that was the second part of the equation because the heel was higher. What we found is on average, people engaged the ground about two and a half to three inches earlier. Hmm. Um, So not only were they landing two and a half to three inches out in front of their knee, instead of underneath it, um, they were doing it with their toes popped up and their heel, you know, down to some extent and watching someone run barefoot or in five fingers looks very different than watching someone run in a pair of shoes. And that's, that's what we were looking at. And so I'm looking at this, I'm seeing these two factors and you know, of course, a lot of people are like, well, what was wrong with just selling everybody five fingers? The problem is we'd seen just a rash of people well-intentioned that we were trying to help weren't adapting to five fingers well. Right. Also, runners are idiots and we all want to continue running our mileage. Um, even yes. when we get injured, you know, I've, I've sat through consumer insights meetings the last little bit and at, almost every single runner in the consumer insight says, well, yeah, I got injured, but I didn't want to you know, I just kind of ran through the pain. I didn't want to stop. I had a training program I had to hit. You know, this is how right. runners are. Yeah. And so very goal uh, oriented, you know, not process. We were aware of the. Yes. Yeah. We're we're very aware of the realities of the situation. Also, mm-hmm. I was training for a fifty mile race in the Rocky Mountains over nasty technical terrain, um, and so I was like, you know, and trying to run five fingers on that kind of terrain, uh, even after having gone pure barefoot for a couple of years at this point in time. Uh, it's still slow and it's injurious at high speeds too. You know, um, there's, just, there's just certain forces your feet really don't handle well. <laughs> um, well, I, and no. I
0: think, you know, I talked to a someone who runs ultras and and she put it well. She's like, it's not that I don't want to. It's that if I step on a rock and there's nothing there to distribute that point impact and I do that at kilometer two, I'm screwed. So it's like, it's like a a protection measure and it's very contextual, right? It's like, it's not, Oh, you should, or you shouldn't. It's like, well, when, how long, what are you doing? How fast are you running? And without taking into account those things, it's hard to give an actual complete answer as to whether or not that is the right piece of footwear for you or not. It's just a tool, right? You want to pick the right tool and I can definitely resonate with that. Yeah. And it
1: just goes back to like what shoes should be in the first place. They should be protection period. Right. Like, you know, um, and different levels of protection are needed for different types of activities. Yep. I'm indoors right now. I don't have shoes on. I don't need any protection, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to walk outdoors and walk around my manicured neighborhood, same thing. I don't need protection, you know. And I, I walk around my neighborhood barefoot and my my neighbors are like looking at my whole family walking around barefoot. And they're like, don't you like <laughs> You start a shoe company? I'm like, yeah, the whole part p- point of my shoes is that I can do this, you know? Like, <laughs> right. um, but it's, you know, in people's minds, it's like, Whoa, you know, they're, they're mind blown by it. Uh, so anyway, getting back on, on, on story, I guess uh, you know, so I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, I need a pair of shoes with protection. Yeah. I, I got to have a certain amount of, um, cushioning and protection to uh, protect me from the sharp rocks. I'm going to be running across for 50 miles. Also, I want to win this race. Um, so speed is good. And, you know, frankly, uh, protection is confidence and confidence is speed period. Um, and, um, so that was kind of the trail shoe side of things. And then I'm looking at my customers, you know, they're coming in, they want to run in five fingers. They want to run barefoot, but they're also running on sidewalks and streets all the time.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, it, it didn't really work out. You know, it wasn't easy for some people. It does that are able to adapt and be patient and uh, maybe don't run real fast or don't run super long. Uh, you know, they, they do it. Okay. Uh, but for the majority of people we work with at our shoe store, that just wasn't realistic.
0: Yeah. And the P so- word for me is a big sticking point for a lot of people. They're just not, they're unwilling to embrace the process and be, and be patient enough to let things adapt. And most people are are coming you know, the, the best intentions um, to transition to like a, a fully natural piece of footwear with zero understanding of how deconditioned their feet have actually become over their lifetime. And totally. with an understanding that gradual progressive adaptation also applies to your feet. And I mean, it applies to running too, for people who just want to get into running, but that's, that's, I think the big disconnect. It's not yes or no, it's how, and if you don't have a deep understanding long? of connecting with your body and how long, then it's, it might not go well.
1: Yeah. And if, and if you think you're going to be able to communicate that selling shoes in a shoe store, good luck. You know, it's just, right. it's the process is people don't even want to hear it, frankly. Right. Um, and it's always nice when they do, there's a few of them and, you know, you have a great discussion, but so my thing was um, you know, as I got looking at it, you know, I love running barefoot on the beach. I adore mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's one of my favorite things. And, and I, it was something I missed dearly about Hawaii. And I, I try to run barefoot on the grass. And I was like, Well, I want to feel when I'm running on pavement or the sidewalk, the way I feel when I'm running barefoot on the grass or on the Mm -hmm. beach. Mm -hmm. Um, And cushioning is a way to do that. And so I am not from the traditional, uh, you know, maybe barefoot school of thought that cushioning is evil in all circumstances. Neither am I. Uh, My thought process my thought process was more like, I want to imitate natural ground. Shoes should be portable ground, period. Um, mm-hmm. Shoes are protection and shoes should be portable ground. I want to build a shoe that takes, you know, um, uh, you know, customers that come into the store buying shoes and gives them the feeling of running barefoot on the grass, gives them the feeling of running barefoot on the beach and mm-hmm. doesn't mess with their biomechanics in any way, shape or form.
0: Uh-huh. That's the key uh-huh. one. Yes.
1: And, um, so, you know, my theory was like, well, what if I took, you know, this very popular shoe that I'm selling at my store right now? Um, and you know, what if I made it so that the cushioning wasn't thick in the back anymore? Um, that the shoe weight balanced perfectly front to back, that the toes could completely spread out. Um, and you know, we could get the foot in barefoot position, so the foot is in the same position in the shoe as when the foot is not in a shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we, we give a cushion level that's appropriate to make the road or the sidewalk feel like the grass or the beach. Um, and so this is where kind of the toaster oven comes up. And, you know, I just wanted to prove that I could get a shoe with cushioning that mimicked the biomechanics of someone running in a pair of five fingers, frankly. That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to, you know, we're looking at all this slow motion video. So I go home and my dad's always modifying shoes. It's pretty normal at my house. And, um, you know, I kind of tell him what I'm doing and I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to modify these shoes and, and make them level front to back, um, heel to toe, make them weight balance front to back. Um, you know, and, and for years we had already been expanding toe boxes and selling people their shoes like way too big. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know why. And I thought my dad was crazy when he first started doing it, but um, you know, it went back about 10 years. You came in with a plantar fascia issue or a bunion or an aroma. My dad was going to sell you your shoes two sizes too big and completely get rid of the laces in the front half of the shoe um, so that your toes were just like hanging out in space. Right. Right. Um, and it was so successful at eliminating mm. foot pain that we just had been doing it for almost 10 years at the store and it had gotten to the point that you show up at any local road race and about half the runners have no laces in the front
0: half of the shoe. <laughs> good you know, good shit like, catches on.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, it's effective because you're not selling shoes to that many people, right? They're, they're telling others. Right. And so I, I tell my dad, like, I'm trying to, you know, mimic barefoot position, um, but still, you know, have a shoe, have some cushioning and, and feel like portable ground, you know, imitate uh, the grass or the, the beach and, and I explained to him what am I doing. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know, 270. Wait till the glue bubbles." And <laughs> I'm like, "All right, you know." So it's like down to the toaster oven in the basement, and you know, the mini oven, and uh, open it up and put the shoe in 270 degrees, and and hit start, you know, and uh, wait till the glue bubbles. And, and frankly, I left it in too long. Uh, I melted the laces, like. It, the TPU on the upper got melted. It was ugly as it's as all part okay. of the experiment, right? Yeah, and but I pull the shoe out and I, you know, get a rent uh, a pair of pliers and I rip the outsole off, the rubber off, rip the foam out of the shoe, and then I put in some uh, Spenco foam, which comes in these flat sheets, right? Mm-hmm. And it's super durable. So I put in these sheets of Spenco foam and then I glue the rubber back on and I go for a run. And for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm, you know, running. Uh, in a pair of like cross flats or I'm running barefoot on the grass, um, but I'm wearing a pair of, you know, quote unquote cushioned traditional shoes mm-hmm. um, on, on the road. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I kind of just like look up at the heavens. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> this feels amazing. That's um, great. And so uh, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm an experiment of one. Let's go check the video out. And so I start putting the shoes on the, the staff that worked for me and lo and behold, uh, these shoes and barefoot and five fingers all look very, very similar uh, biomechanically. You mm-hmm. don't really see any differences. So even though there's some cushioning as part of the equation, because the foot is in natural position, because the shoe is perfectly weight balanced front to back, um, because the toes are able to get in the game, um, biomechanically, it looks the same in slow motion video. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And, and um, I, I get shoes for my whole staff and I, I engage a shoemaker that was like a mile down the street and I, this is just so classic. Cause this guy's like a, a third generation shoemaker, um, certified pedorthist, Right. And like, I go in and tell him, like, I'm like, Hey, I, I want you to take this pair of traditional shoes here and I want you to level them out, weight balance them front to back. Um, you know, and, and he's looking at me and he's like, why on earth would you want to do that? I'm, I usually <laughs> add things to shoes. Don't, I don't usually take things away, you know? Right. And I explain to him everything I just explained to you. And he looks at me and he starts shaking his head and he's like, Well, that sure makes a lot of sense. (laughs) You know, as a third generation shoemaker and certified pedorthist, that that sure makes a lot of sense. Like, why why haven't I thought of that before, you know? Right, right. Um, And so he starts making these shoes for me, and I make shoes for my entire staff.
0: Now, when Um, you say make shoes, did you take an existing – you took an existing shoe, modified it, and then –
1: So I made it really simple for the shoemaker. I, I took the original 1984 Saucony Jazz originals in. Um, they come with a two layer midsole that drops down from the heel down to the forefoot. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're two different colors. The midsoles are. And so I basically said to him like, okay, see this bottom layer of flat foam, leave that there, this dark layer of foam on top. That's the exact same thickness. It, you know, it starts in the heel and then it drops down through the arch to the forefoot. Just take Take that that layer out of there. Cool. And he's like, okay, that, you know, that's, that's easy enough. Um, And so I make these for my staff. We have, uh, you know, a couple dozen people working for us at the time and all, but one of them, it was fantastic. They loved it. Cool. Um, and and then what happened is like you know every shoe store has uh, these customers that come in that um, they've tried everything. You know they've, they've got this lingering knee issue. And we had one of these guys, and we'd kind of been through all the shoes and tried everything. And he's looking at me and he's like, "What are you wearing?" You know, I've got these shoes that have no laces in the front half. They're clearly modified. They're they're wonky, right? And I'm like. Uh, I'm just doing some experimentation on them. It it, it looks like they change your running form and, and make it, you know, easier to run with natural gait and they get your toes in the game. And and he's like, Well, would that help my knee? And I'm like, it might. It probably you know, in my experience with biomechanics, it should, but it might also hurt you. I have no clue. We've done no research right. on this. He's like, and this guy's like, one well, desperate, let me try it. If
0: right. you so, got nothing to lose, you may as well.
1: Exactly. So he puts them on and he goes and runs and he's gone like a long time. To the point, you know, every shoe salesman has this moment where they're like, dude, jacked my shoes. Yeah. Are they coming back ever? (laughs) Are they coming back? You know, and he eventually comes back and he like walks in the door. He's like, I'll take them. You know, I'm like, no, those are my shoes. Like they're ugly. They're Like, no, you will not take them. And he's like, well, can you get me a pair? Like I can tell they make me run different. um, You know, and my knee feels better and I think it's going to help my knee. So can you give me a pair? And I'm like, okay, under one circumstance, like I will get sued. If people find out we make modified shoes from existing companies um, and give them to the shoemaker. Yeah, exactly. Except, you know, I hadn't thought that far ahead. So, I, you know, and it was complicated at the time. Um, so I, I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you a pair, you know, so I, I make him this pair of shoes. He's sworn to secrecy. Well, of course, <laughs> it's no more than like three weeks later, some other guy comes in and is like, hey, who sold Joe the hacked up shoes, you know, and, and you're like sitting on the fit bench like, oh, crap, you know, I'm hey, uh, kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that was me, you know. And he's like, "Ah, heck, sell me a pair too." I've known that guy forever, and his knees always hurt. Now it's feeling better, uh, so so hook me up. I'm like, okay, just please don't tell anybody, um, you know. You didn't for the first one. You know, <laughs> I know, right? It's freaking Fight Club at Runner's Corner. Like, you know, people are coming in. They're like, "Yeah, I'd like to try the, uh, you know, you know." At, at first, the hacked-up shoes, and then the zero-drop shoes, um, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we don't sell those. And they're like, oh we know they're back there, you know, and it's <laughs> like, okay, awesome. what's the password, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, It's like a easy. So, it's like, you, you got to get oh, totally. You got to know the way in.
1: Oh, absolutely. And so luckily, like, because we were so afraid of get, getting sued, I turned it into a research project. So we started sending these people, if they, if they wanted a pair of these shoes, they had to agree to take this survey with them. Um, And the survey was like, you know, how did this change your running form? What muscles do you use more? What muscles do you use less? What hurts more? What hurts less? What injuries did you have before? What injuries do you have now? I mean, pretty extensive um, Mm. survey and a lot of this on like a scale of one to 10. And uh, we're like, and, you know, we gave them to him and said, you know, you need to bring this back, but we will pay you $10 um, in in store credit to do it or gifts, gift cards or whatever. And um, so we amassed um, all this data and we actually ended up selling basically word of mouth from one injured runner to another. I kid you not, we sell a thousand pairs, about a thousand pairs of shoes in the. First Whoa! Year. Um,
0: wow, that's crazy.
1: Which for any running store is a huge amount of your volume on the year. Um, I mean, we're selling just a, a huge chunk of shoes, and um, and and we're collecting a ton of data. You know, we're getting these. Yeah, like that's apps.
0: what three shoes, three shoes a day. People are yeah. coming in.
1: Yeah. Wow. So we get all this data back and you know five areas that we see just like overwhelmingly positive results with um plantar fascia issues shin splints runner's knee it band and lower back issues and like you know i had always looked at this through a running technique lens so the shin splints the runner's knee and the it band made perfect sense Mm -hmm. the plantar fascia issues i had no I, i didn't have an understanding quite yet of why exactly that was happening Um, and the low back issues, same deal. I didn't understand the posture difference happening between zero drop and and having drop. Um, so, uh, you know, we had all this, all this data basically. And, um, so what kind of happened along the way is we were modifying our best selling shoes in the running shoe store. This is how we were able to sell so many. Mm -hmm. Um, and we basically kept a, a, a stock of sizes on hand that were trial shoes in like our best set best selling two pairs of road shoes and our best selling couple of of trail shoes. Hmm. And so when people came in they would be able to try on a you know Brooks Cascadia and a Brooks modified Cascadia, Brooks Casc-
0: Cascadia X. <laughs>
1: yes, and they were able to try on a Montreal Mountain Masochist and a montreal mountain modified masochist um, and they they would be able to try them on side by side and they could literally feel the biomechanic difference on hmm. the spot right then and there exact same shoe the only thing we had done is you know sold them a little bit bigger skip the laces out in the front half of the shoe and um and then leveled out the midsole right and so we're actually taking the shoes into the shoemaker and um
0: so you made this guy rich probably <laughs>
1: Yes, by my calculations, a thousand pair at anywhere between twenty and fifty bucks a pair—that's somewhere between twenty and fifty grand uh, To, subtract, to subtract profit. That, yeah, that, that he made that year. So, uh, consequently, we're great friends to this day.
0: I was going to say, <laughs> uh, I hope he sends your birthday cards or something like yeah, that because um, that seems legit.
1: So you know, and and I look at it as he helped me just as much as I helped him because this right. this never would have happened without him. But and and really, the term zero drop came because of him. Um, cause we're, we, I would take the shoes into him and they're, again, they're typical traditional shoes, two to one heel to toe drop twice as thick in the midsole and the heel is there on the forefoot. And I, you know, Robert, I need you to level these out and, and I'd be like, see how the heel, you know, see how the heel drops down to the forefoot, mm. we need to make it. So it's level. And so he would go in and he cuts in with a bandsaw, And then with a belt sander, you start sanding out, um, you know, that area that's raised or thicker between the the mid and the heel mm-hmm. and he would stand and then we would get these millimeter rulers and he would take these, these millimeter rulers and, um, he would like, you know, hold them up in the different parts of the shoe. And, you know, we would look at the shoe and he'd be like, ah, uh-huh, you know, it's, it's measuring 16 millimeters in the back and 12 millimeters in the front. Um, and I'm like, okay, yes, yeah. so it's still dropping, you know, four millimeters from, from heel to toe. And he'd be like, okay, let's sand sand a little bit more out, and then he'd do it. And then, you know, this one time he's like, okay, and he's measuring, and he's like, okay, it looks like it's it's dropping zero millimeters. And I was like, (laughs) that's great. You're a genius. Like we no (laughs) longer have to call them hacked up modified shoes. And he's kind of like, "What, what do you mean? I'm like we can call them zero drop shoes. Like the shoe is no longer dropping from the heel to the forefoot. You just set it yourself. That is you great. Know. It's dropping zero millimeters. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the cushioning of the shoe. Um, and cause all these shoes are typical traditional cushioned running shoes, right? Right. Um, And so, uh, the term drop and zero drop was a term to actually describe the cushioning of the shoe, um, Mm -hmm. which is really ironic today because it's, it's very much, um, you know, what happened is, you know, right after ultra launched, uh, we put the very first zero drop cushion running shoes on the market. Mm -hmm. Um, new balance comes out with these minimalist, uh, Minimus shoes with, with next to no cushioning. Merrill comes out with their barefoot shoes shortly thereafter with next to no cushioning. And everybody's calling them zero drop shoes. Uh, um, which I was like, these plagiarists. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they don't even know what the term means. It's a term to describe the cushioning in the shoe and these shoes don't even have any cushioning.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd love, you know? you'd love to see their marketing uh, be a, like a fly in the wall in their marketing sessions. It's like, just, just call yeah. them zero drop. They're doing a good job. Let's just call them, who knows what it yeah. means. Just do it. Yeah, It well, will and, sell. You know,
1: to be honest, we had put the term out on the internet for like two years, a year and a half right. before Ultra ever hit the market. So we had mm-hmm. popularized the term, we had made it like a big deal you know, on the internet uh, among you know, what natural running community there was at the time. Right. And so you know, that was kind of how that, that all went down. So that's the story of how we got the term zero drop. I hope it was fun.
0: That, uh, that's, that is amazing. Um, and then so, so do you remember the year that, that uh, you had that conversation with Robert? Like when, when the term zero drop came about?
1: Yeah, that would have been 2008.
0: Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 12 years ago. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yep. So, um,
0: yeah. So 2008, uh, you see that, you realize the potential of zero drop. People are buying all these shoes. You saw 1,000 shoes. You're doing this experiment, collecting data. At yep. what point does your brain go to, I need to make my own shoes? And And, you know, was that... <clears throat> Because now Ultra's huge. Like, I don't. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. When did you actually start Ultra? Like the company's inception? Um, and you know what? Like, did you always have a business mindset? Because you know, I love Elon Musk. Always says starting a business is like leaning into the abyss while chewing glass. Like it's not. You have to have yeah. a, You have to be a certain kind of person to want to do it, and especially at the scale you're doing it at. So, what was? Yeah. Or sort of you have to
1: firmly believe in what you're doing, and believe that there is no other option.
0: Yes, and, that's true. And that was my situation. And not uh, stop until you're forced to stop. Yes.
1: Yeah, so what happened is, you know, I think we, we, uh, we've been selling shoes for about a year out of the store. Um, and, um, you know, we, we had collected all this data. We knew it worked and pretty early on, like my dad worked in the industry. It's not like we didn't have connections in high places at most running shoe companies. We did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started pitching it. Like, Hey guys, um, if you'll make shoes with, um, you know, shoes that are shaped like feet instead of like torpedoes, um, you know, uh, <laughs> like, that'd be great. And here's the data.
0: And also, I hope it's not too much to ask for.
1: Yeah. And if you'd make shoes that are level from heel to forefoot, that don't weigh more in the back half of the shoe that aren't thicker in the back half of the shoe that don't have an elevated heel, you know, here's our data that shows these things happen and all these injuries go down. Oh, and P.S. You know, running shoe injuries haven't got better the last four decades. So what you're doing isn't really working anyway. (laughs) Um, So if you'll make these, we'll buy thousands and thousands of pairs from you, and we will sell lots of them, and we will give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we don't want anything for it. Um, Seems like a good offer. That's what I thought. You know. (laughs) So my goal was really just to get a current shoe company that was, you know, a top seven, you know, the big seven, if you will to right. just make these shoes so that, that uh, we could sell them at our, our store. And it became apparent really quick that um, that was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were not, they did what not. Was the it. What was the
0: resistance? What was the resistance?
1: It went everything from like, hey, don't you understand the way mar- running shoes are marketed? Like um, mm-hmm. your foot slams into the ground. Impact is bad. Our cool cushioning technology saves you from impact. End of story. Right you know, and you're trying to tell us like, hey, um, our shoes are actually causing more impact by changing the way people run and uh, our cushioning isn't actually saving people. What's going to save people is changing their running form. I'm like, well, that's what the data shows. Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yes. um, and, but, but they're like, we'd have to do a complete 180 on our marketing. Like we'd mm-hmm. have to do everything we've done in marketing for 40 years, we'd have to throw out the window. Um, to like, you know, along those lines, uh, some of them would be like, uh, so yeah, we would love to do that and you might be right. Uh, but we kind of have to admit everything we've been doing the last several decades is wrong. Uh, and we're not really willing to go there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, to one of the popular shoe companies, uh, said to me right after we launched, they were like, or even before we launched when we were showing it publicly, they're like, you know, you're probably right where you are right now. will be in 20 years. We're just going to, we can't alienate our existing consumer base. Um, they like the shoes we make now. Uh, But we're going to slowly and gradually over time, um, you know, morph towards more of what you're doing now. But that'll probably be 20 plus years from now.
0: Uh, That's so crazy. If if you know
1: the shoe industry, you probably know what big running shoe company that is. Um, But and I thought that was a um, that was a really grown up response <laughs> yep. Yep. which most of them at least weren't. they were it makes a lot of sense yeah. yeah, and you know i didn 't understand that shoe companies at the time have you know you 've got built in cu- customer bases that like what you do you have shareholders you have stock um, you, c- you can 't ask an existing public shoe company to make that kind of change but do you um, think it 's
0: mutually exclusive like why wouldn 't they just get a little skunkworks division like they make some crazy shit at some of these if it 's the same shoe company i 'm thinking of they have some divisions that make very specialized footwear that is not you know, it's for a unique niche purpose, right? And would it be too much for them to have like a little division and not have to make it mutually exclusive? It's not you either do A or B. It's like, you're mostly doing B. You can keep doing B. But maybe some people that are loving your B products would be curious to try out A. And if they do, and that's what they want to buy, make more of A. Like, is that too much to ask for? I didn't think so. That was my hope, but um, I don't, I, none
1: of them saw it that way. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, this is our big challenge at running specialty stores today, even, you know, if, they're, if, they're, if an employee at a running specialty store is gonna go all in on selling an ultra and actually tell the customer what the shoe really does and, and how it's built and why, you know, there's this like th- thinking that like, oh, I'm basically saying everything else on my wall. The other 95% of everything else right. is, is wrong, you know? Right and um you know not the same shoe company i was talking about earlier but nike you know for example had done the nike free right in the same time frame Mm -hmm. and the ideology was similar although the execution was pathetic um but uh the idea of getting the body to run more naturally but you'll notice their messaging was very very strong like don't run in this full time you will get injured if you do that Mm -hmm. it's a training tool only you know they they could not like they couldn't, say, like, they, they couldn't kinda, couldn't like, commit they kind of like dipped their toe
0: in the water and were like
1: yeah, oh, Yeah exactly and so that's kind of what it was but you know and i i became very disillusioned like you know like my thought growing up is like running shoe companies exist to keep people from being injured right um, that's what that's what they're supposed to do and i felt like you know not only was i trying to help a lot of broken runners out there which was my main goal but now we've got a broken industry we have got an mm. industry that doesn't doesn't really give a crap and frankly they had people at shoe companies being like yeah we've we've kind of had research for like you know a decade or two that, that says that's right but we can't really more for consumer base you know right um so i felt like oh we got this this broken you know industry and, and i'm trying to fix broken runners and that's actually where the name came from um mm-hmm. ultra was originally altera Okay. and altera is this word that means to mend or fix that which is broken
0: oh that's amazing i was gonna ask you about the name i'm glad you brought it yeah. up
1: and then we got sued by altera the software company <laughs> <laughs> Of course. and uh we actually they had no leg to stand on we totally could have won the lawsuit but our lawyer was like look guys you don't have the time or the money to fight this you got to focus on other things find another name
0: Ultra sounds uh, great it's
1: quicker yeah it's quicker it's easier um you know we didn't think so at the time but um I think, I think my buddy uh, Brian Beck said, somehow came up with Altera, and it's hilarious because we were like, oh, well, you know, I started out by altering shoes in the toaster oven and we see ourselves as an alternative to traditional shoes. And, and <laughs> Brian runs to rationalize it. Yeah, Brian runs Ultras and I run Ultras. And, you know, so it's like Alter plus Ultra equals Ultra. And, you know, we we somehow missed the boat that there's just an E missing from Altera. Um, right. And there's no way the Trademark Commission is going to approve a one-letter change. Um, and it goes in, and we're like, "This is for sure going to be rejected." Once we, you know, realized it, and somehow it came back approved. You know, amazing. Okay, yeah. amazing. So, there's there cool. the name.
0: <laughs> awesome. And then, so, so when did you officially launch? Um, and you know, was was it what you expected? And that's a very maybe too broad of a question. But what were the biggest obstacles that you hadn't foreseen, or that you were? Um, you know, that really surprised you on the journey to bringing a footwear company to market. And then, and then did you expect it to be where it is today? Because now it's like everyone knows about Ultra. Um, you know, was that, did you know it was going to be something of that scale? Because clearly it had the potential. And obviously all the disillusionment is literally just fueled to be like, I'm reinforcing the fact that there is a big void that no one seems willing to lean in and fill. And as hard as it might be, sometimes when something is really important, even if it's really friggin' hard, you just you got someone has to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, frankly, I thought it would be bigger. Um oh, and I, I don't say that to sound arrogant, but um I didn't not
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's true. But it you know, I thought by year five we'd be at the point we're at now and we're at year ten. Right. Um I, I didn't foresee the challenges, uh I didn't foresee how much a fight the big shoe companies would put up against what we we're doing. Hmm. Um I didn't see, foresee how resistant running stores would be to selling yeah. something different than the tried and true that they've always done. Um there there were a lot of things that you know I just didn't kind of like think would be as big of a deal as they were. I thought more running stores were like mine, very benevolent, like we're here to help <laughs> fix customers. You thought the world was nice? What? On. I didn't realize like Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize m- a lot of running stores were like, no, we're here to make money and we're going to do it at all costs, you know? Um, right. So, and you know, it's not to say there aren't good ones out there um, and that they're all bad or anything like that. There's, there's this huge spectrum, but right. um, I thought more of them were much more like my dad's store uh, right. where it was like, we're going to fix people at all costs, you know, and we don't care about the money. The money will come if we fix people. Exactly. Um, so, but to answer your questions, uh, the shoes officially launched in March, 2011. Uh, okay. It took us about almost two years, um, you know, from kind of ideation to actually get them on the market selling. Uh, we opened with 25, 28, 28 retailers. Um, the initial How many models did you start with? One model, just nice. the instinct. Um, and, you know, the,
0: the thing <laughs> That's we a th- great name also, the instinct. Yeah,
1: no, we love the ultra instinct. Uh, you know, it was like, because our thought was like, these shoes, you just put them on and you instinctually run the way you would run on the beach or on the grass without a shoe on like that was the whole whole idea behind the shoe um they they rare they more or less turned out the way i I expected them to uh we're lucky we fairly nailed it with that first shoe um there were no major issues um and uh i didn't foresee barefoot became big in the meantime Mm. um and uh so it's like the height of the barefoot boom when the instinct comes out or maybe not the height, but it's, it's growing. And so our shoes hit the market and everybody's like, what's with all the barefoot shoes with cushioning? <laughs> you know,
0: like, um, and of course, barefoot shoes, it's, I know, a, right? it's like the oxymoron is in and of itself a, co- yeah. a point of confusion, like just in the a- word.
1: Absolutely. You know, but it was like, we were too cushioned for the, uh, you know, it,
0: the it, hardcore barefooters.
1: Well, you know, it's like that quote from Henry Ford, right? He he says, like, if uh, if I would have given people what they wanted, uh, you know, I, they we, they would have got a faster horse, you know, and <laughs> right. he, he built a car instead, you know. And it was like at right. the mo at that moment, what people wanted was a shoe with no cushioning whatsoever, mm. um, and of course, that that kind of trend really took a nosedive about a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, we had like the traditional running shoe people being like. Uh, what's with the cushioned shoes with the clown toe box and without the heel? (laughs) You know, so it's like both sides had no idea where we were coming from, what we were doing. It was like right. You're like the middle child that no one's talking to. (laughs) Absolutely, you know. Um, and yet, you know, people we did get through to. Like, you know, we sold out that first shipment in ten days. You know, wow. um, It was gone. How many shoes was in the first
0: shipment? Do you remember? Uh,
1: I think it was twenty-five hundred. Cool. So about, about 1,500 men's, 1,000 women's, yeah. Wow. And they just like evaporated. You know, they got really? them out as fast as we could get them out. Um, so, and, and we kind of were in that position for the next year. Like we <laughs> could not keep shoes in. Um, and did so, you keep, did you stay uh, with the one It was one really Instinct? interesting
0: along the way.
1: Yeah, so what we did, um, the Instinct launched in March. We launched the Lone Peak, which is obviously iconic and, you know, the best-selling trail running shoe in America right now um and that launched in november uh and then um we launched a a more like faster more minimal shoe called the one the next year as well as a faster more minimal um trail shoe called the superior cool um so uh, and then the provision which was a uh a version of the instinct with a uh, varus wedge in it that was removable Mm -hmm. um so kind of a take on a stability shoe option without putting any quote unquote arch support in, cool. um, which Love actually that. worked really well. And doctors adored it. And it was a soft varus wedge that so was removable. I still like think it's amazing, but um, <clears throat> there's, yeah. So that, that stuff all cascaded, but you know, I think something that people enjoy hearing is um, you asked me how this all happened. I didn't want to do it. Um hmm. I wasn't interested in starting a shoe company. It just kind of became more and more apparent over time. Like it needed to happen when we couldn't get anybody else to do it. And I felt like this moral responsibility of like, I yeah. have to get somebody to make these shoes, you know? And I, th- I thought it needed to be an existing shoe company. And my cousin, Jeremy comes to me on my birthday. Uh, this is like July, 2009. And he's just like, he hadn't run in several years because his knees always give him problems and and I, I kind of tell him what I'm doing. And, and he's like, well, let's go for a run. And he's like, I'll, I'll wear your special shoes. And, you know, we're the same size so we can switch halfway through the run. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. So like we run a mile and a half out and his knees are killing him. And like, you know, and then, and he's wearing his traditional running shoes, his his uh, Sauconies and um, I'm, I'm wearing, you know, my modified shoes. Um, and then we switch and we run back and, you know, if, uh, he, he gets done. He's like, "This is amazing! Like, <laughs> I've never felt anything like it. My ne- my knees don't hurt nearly as bad." Like, um,
0: crazy how instant that can be. It's oh amazing. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, it's it's like you know, it's just biomechanics, right? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, he's just not overstriding, frankly. <laughs> um, and he's like, "Will you get me a pair? I want to see if this actually works long term." And but even that day, he's like, "We got to build these," you know. And he, he says the funniest thing. To yes, make. Jeremy. He's like he's like, you know, can you get me a pair? And I'm like, yeah. So I give him a pair, and he calls me up a little bit later, and he's like, hey, can you give me a real pair? I'm like, what do you mean real? He's like, well, not one made by you, you know. <laughs> And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, a shoe that comes built without an elevated heel and a shoe that comes built with a toe box that's shaped like a healthy So I just assumed it
0: was out there somewhere. You just oh, have sure. it Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, a shoe that
1: keeps your foot in barefoot position, um, but still has some cushioning to it, you know? And I was like, dude, do you think I would be going through all this effort to do this if that existed? <laughs> and he's like, of course it's out there. there can't, of course there's shoes that don't raise your heel and don't crowd your toes. Like, um, that leave your foot in barefoot position. I'm like, uh, I'm like, what would I know? I just manage a running store, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. And so he's like, well, I'm gonna go find them. So he like searches the world and he comes back and he's like, they don't exist. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, he's like, we gotta make them. Like, we gotta build them. I'm like, I know. I'm like,
0: I've been <laughs> the dragging drag. myself. Yeah, the
1: dread. No, seriously, because I knew it would right. be like the worst thing ever. And to be blatantly honest, it was. Like, I've been to Helen Back 50 times. It was. Right horrific um i would not wish it on anybody
2: uh
1: and so i'm like yeah and he's like i'll do everything you just focus on designing the shoes you know you do the biomechanics make sure you know all the injury prevention stuff's on point i'll do everything else i'm like okay jeremy whatever and I kid you not, Jeremy's like, he's like this, uh, like MacGyver, right? He just like is able to figure stuff he's a out. a fixer. A fixer yes. is,
0: I've realized that the most powerful people to align with when you're doing an ambitious project is not someone with a specific skill set. It's someone that, who's a fixer and can learn anything and yes. just like astroturf, whatever you need to be done. Maybe not yeah. the best, but can get it going and help find the right person after
1: perfect description yeah Amazing. so yes um, so he finds these guys that find these guys um and right. these guys had so i get this call and this guy's like from nike you know or he kind of announces himself like he's from nike and he's like hey i heard about what you're doing and i'm like oh crap like you know we're finally getting sued right right, <laughs> you know? right. and And he's like, he's like, no, it's cool. I I left Nike, um, you know, nine months ago or whatever. Gary, uh, Gary left Adidas, Joe left Adidas. Um, you know, and, uh, we, we heard about what you're doing and, uh, we've known internally for like 15 years that shoes are supposed to be built this way. Wow. And, uh, I'm like, you have, he's like, do you remember Adidas feet you wear? And I was (laughs) like, yeah, I got a pair of those basketball shoes, like the original Kobe's. He's like, yeah no, notice how they kind of we designed them to look kind of like feet I'm like, yeah, but they're still tapered and they still had elevated heels. He's like well they didn't start that way hmm. um, interesting that that just made them um you know marketable
0: or right when they go through people. the filter, the filter yes. of the people who control the money they just and this it sounds like the same thing because i I got invited to Nike, and initially I was like i don't know if I should go there i've talked a some smack about Nike. I just pictured me going there, <laughs> being brought into a room and beaten up by lawyers and being like, never me talk to- shit about us again. And yeah. I was like, oh God, this, this could be bad. <laughs> anyway, I ended up going and they, they asked me to sign an NDA. And I was like, I guarantee if I sign this NDA, if I ever do something with footwear anytime in my life, I'm going to get shut down. So I didn't sign it, which means I didn't get to see the cool stuff, but I still got to yeah. go there. It was fun. And I met yeah. with the, the initial free team. And they said that they said the same thing. The intention was you know, Vin Leina at Stanford had his athletes running barefoot. Nike reps right. those, saying, what are you doing, Vin? We, we send you these shoes. We sponsor you. They have to wear the shoes. He says, my athletes run better when they run barefoot. So they're like, perfect. Let's make a shoe that mimics the feeling of running on grass. Yep. But then as, you know, from that inception idea through to development, through to the filter of let's sell these things without, can- you know, probably their thought is without cannibalizing all the rest of our stuff. It yep. ends up being something very different and being basically just the same thing wrapped in a different color um yeah foot so shape is too ugly happen. we got
1: to make them look cute you know yeah. got to do some heel elevation because people aren't ready for it et cetera. Et cetera.
0: yeah that's the core yeah. of it i Come think on. people don't like the look of feet i think i think yeah. until we change people's perception and and to view feet as like these really cool beautiful things it's going to be really hard to make big waves but i, I spoke to galahad at that same bio symposium um from vivo barefoot and he's like we're, we're entering the decade of the foot. Like people are becoming radically open-minded and better informed. Um, you know, obviously that same pipeline of information through social media and stuff is doing some other weird shit that's not good. But, but overall, people are, are demanding, are, are looking for their own information. And when they're discovering the truth, they're gonna demand better. They're gonna prioritize foot health if they understand why the foot's important. So I, I believe that this next decade is gonna be very interesting to see how, mu- how much inroads um, you know the natural footwear market makes, and how much big companies like Nike. Because I mean, I, when I met with them at the free um, the free team, they're like, basically, we have a team of people who scour the internet for trends, and we try and get on that trend before other people. When they see that the natural movement is catching up, they're going to jump on the bandwagon, right? It might be a tough pill oh, for, sure. for them to swallow, but. Um, I'm very interested to see what this, what, what, you know, 2020 or 2030 holds apart from the state of the world. If we're still around in, in 10 years, I think more people will be in natural footwear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're right. Um, to- totally hope you're right. All, all that stuff is pretty consistent with, with my experience as well.
0: Well, thank you, Jeremy, for being, uh, for, for kicking golden in the butt if you're listening to this and you know, like what is, what is golden's life look like today? What is your, um, role with ultra? How has it changed? um you know like i'm very curious to know just what what was an average day in golden's life apart from lots of meetings but like what what things are you still really active in with ultra
1: yeah i think um you know um you want to influence the things that you know you feel are the most important obviously i'm most passionate about the running injury piece about the foot health piece Mm -hmm. um so uh you know doing stuff like this that is kind of uh, pr related is you know getting our message out there uh, and, you know, I probably go about it a little different than, you know, uh, this is a little bit different because you're a friendly audience. Uh, I would say most of the audiences I go in front of are not, you know, they're not friendly uh, and it doesn't mean they're not friendly. It just means that uh, in, in the typical sense of the word, it just means that they're not aware of our message. Um, right, right. You know, they, they come from a traditional background. And so I, I kind of go on the front lines, if you will. Uh, And, you know, from the beginning, I've always chosen to do that. And, you know, in the early days, you know, I probably controlled every decision. And Mm -hmm. the bigger a company gets, the the more you realize that you don't control anything anymore. You just kind of influence here and there. Right. Um,
0: (laughs) That's a good way of putting it.
1: You know, um, know, I have have influence but not control anymore. Um, Right. And that's very painful at times and it's, it's great in other ways. Um, yep. you know, I, I actually see my family, um, <laughs> you know, yes. and I didn't have a family when this started. So it, it was okay then, you know,
0: what I did to get
1: this thing started would not have been okay if I had a family. Right. Um, and yep. so, I agree. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I like to focus on the training aspect as well. Um, you know, it typically not COVID hitting. Uh, just about every other week I'm on the road visiting, uh, you know, doing public events and speaking and giving presentations and visiting running stores and training staffs and uh, you know, s- speaking to to groups of people and doing running technique lessons and, and injury prevention uh, clinics and, and stuff like that. That's something I'm really, really passionate about. That's and awesome. then of course, you know, testing the product and giving input on the product. Uh, we have a whole product team now, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's gone from a place where I used to design every last piece of every last shoe on my laptop, you know, <laughs> down and people don't realize like these shoes have literally hundreds of pieces, you right. know, um, when you take into account colors and, and all kinds of stuff, um, to now having a team of people doing it. Um, and you know, I'm more just like testing and providing feedback and, and saying, this is, you know, I like this. I don't like that. Um, right. you know, this would be more natural way to do things, et cetera. Um, So I I enjoy, you know, those are the two things I'm most passionate about is getting the message out there. And then, you know, just the product. I I still love the product and and I want the product to be as as natural and healthy as possible. Um, So that's where I try and try and influence things. So cool. um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting because I share a very similar perspective to you in that, you know, footwear, the actual product is simply a physical artifact that you use as a conduit for a bigger message, right? Like it, the the message of health or the message of we are on your team. If you want to keep running for the rest of your life and do it without pain, well, educating you on what you cover your foot with is the conduit through which I'm able to help you achieve that goal. It's not about the shoe, but the shoe is a yeah. necessary part. Like Dan Lieberman says it beautifully. He says at the end of the day, how you run is the most important, but the shoes you wear, can definitely affect how you Influence, run yeah. yes heavily and so and i always find it curious how people's the way that people run drastically changes with no cueing, no coaching no deeper knowledge needed as soon as they take their shoes off as soon as they get rid of the drop um, in their shoe and it's like this very beautiful thing where people have this aha moment experientially where they're like this feels weird but you know, the conversation we've had going up to there is you will run naturally when you don't have shoes on or when you have a natural shoe on. And so they say, this feels weird. And they made the connection of this is natural. So the way I'm running right now is really funky. And that might have something to do with my knee pain. And you see the cogs rolling without you having to say a word. And I think it's beautiful. And I think, you know, the, the awesome thing is that the truth is when you have seen and heard from so many people, positive results, and you know, the biomechanics. Um, you know, to the best of your knowledge with a deep dive into it, you know, the truth is on your side. And I think that's a very powerful wind to have in your sales and know that it doesn't matter how rough it gets or what happens. Like that is the truth. If I find out something different and I definitely commend you and your dad for being so open-minded and seeing like, shit, we weren't doing something in the best interest of our people. And instead of just sort of like shrugging it up, because now there's so many people that hear something different from their perspective, just like that can't be right. Yeah. But, but you guys are just like, okay, we need to do things different. This sucks, but this is also beautiful because we just learned something significant. And so, yeah, I, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point. We've, we've always said uh,
1: that our shoes are a running technique coach in a box. Amazing. You know, and, and I've always made the point, like, you know, my goal was to change the way people run and to strengthen their feet. Hmm. Um, but I'd been teaching running technique classes for years Um, i've been trying to teach people to strengthen their feet for years people don't really get passionate about programs Um, Mm. nearly to the degree people get passionate about products
0: and so my thought
1: was if i could give people a product that then made them passionate about running technique and foot strengthening um, and and you know foot alignment and barefoot positioning and all this stuff uh, then, then that would be like, people get behind that. You can make a movement out of a product, you know, yes. it's so much easier to make a movement out of a product. And well, it's so part of alter- people's
0: identity, right? It's yeah. like part of their uh, expression of their personality and their values is expressed through the clothing they wear. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's how you form a community around a product instead of just focusing on the product itself. And it's, yeah. it's awesome. Clearly, well, I, was on
1: it. a, I was listening to a consumer insights panel this morning and, and this, uh, this one person happened to wear ultras and she's just, you know, talking to this group and it's all conf, you know, confidential for the most part, but um, she doesn't know who she's talking to. Um, but she basically says like, you know, she's like, when I see someone with ultras on, I know like, those people know what they're doing. Like, you know, and this is, she's like a, a fitness coach. Right. You know? Right. And she's like, she's like, they know about like, you know, they know something about biomechanics. and They know something about foot health, like, um, or foot strengthening. Like I look at those people and I'm like, those are my people, you know? And, and she's like, and then I see somebody wearing a pair of Nikes and I'm like, what the crap are you doing? Like <laughs> that person doesn't know what they're doing out there, you know? And so right. like for her, you know, and I'm not saying this is my statement. I, I would not be that callous personally. Um, but, you know, her, her statement was basically like, she, like you said, she literally looks at people and by their shoes, she judges how intelligent they are in regards to their foot and their, their feet and their biomechanics, which is, um, you know, fascinating. And I can't say I don't do the same thing, you know, I, did, I, know I might not say it, but I do thing. it too. Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, so I have, I have this like respect when I see somebody, you know, walking around in a pair of natural shoes or no shoes at all. Um,
0: and I agree. I relate to them on a deeper level, like on a absolutely. visceral level. And, and I found, you know, through our, sorry to interrupt, our, I just want to sneak in our foot nerd community, these people around the world that have joined this sort of like a community of people who want to get really involved with the deep process of, of their health journey and work yeah. together to decide or make sense of the confusing world. It's funny how many foot nerds that I have met in person that I share so many values with beyond just feet. Like we love yeah. uh, growing and cooking real food. We value sleep. Like so many of the pillars of health are, yeah. you know, like valuing the health of your feet is almost like a litmus test for so many other things that, you know, I've just found it very, very strange, but also really cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. For sure.
1: Yeah. It, you mentioned earlier you know, on the flip side, you, you, you mentioned like um, people, I'm being at that uh, podiatrist or uh, foot health conference, biomechanics conference and and seeing people wear like horrible shoes. And it's, it's like such a, it's just what you were just talking about. You know, I I see those people and I'm like, you're supposed to be an expert in this field, but what you're wearing on your feet tells me, you know, nothing about what you're actually, you know, uh, trying to teach people about, you know how, you how know. to do stats, I mean, but you don't completely understand the underwhelms your, <laughs> your credibility, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a hard, hard thing. And, and, you know, we have to, um, you know, you can't go and hit people over the head with it either.
0: I agree. Yes. So we have, uh, seven minutes left. So I got a couple, uh, just rapid fire questions. Number one, who are, you know, growing up, it sounds like your dad was a big role model. Were there any other role models in terms of the world of uh, business or athletics that you really looked up to or, or that inspired you?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad definitely, uh, for sure. Uh, other runner, local runners in the community that, you know, nobody would know. Um, but, uh, I was a big Steve Young fan. So, uh, you know, uh, Bowl winner, uh, also a big John Stockton fan, you know, short pasty white guy that was just (laughs) as as bad as they come, you know, that that could get things done despite like looking at him and nobody looks at that guy and says, that guy's a basketball player. Right. And you know, he holds in, there's five statistical categories in, in professional basketball. He holds the all time records in two of them, you know, wow. Um, to this day, you know, steals and assists. And, um, you know, it's this guy that no one would look at and think is a basketball player. I always love that. Um, Steve Young was kind of the same way. Uh, just this story of a guy that could not throw a football. You know, he was, mm. he was literally sixth string when he walked on at BYU, the coaches told him to get lost and he persevered and eventually won the job is, you know, and, and became this great quarterback, but a lot through his legs and then, and then his NFL journey, just waiting behind Joe Montana forever until, you know, winning multiple Super Bowls and setting Super Bowl records and, and becoming one of the most proficient passers of all time. Um wow. so cool. these kind of things I always relate to um just because I think for most of us, you know, we're not born with superior genetics and, and we're not born like, you know, it, it doesn't come easy for everybody. Right. Um and so I love these stories of people that just seem like really normal or even like shouldn't be doing what they're doing that are able to be massively successful.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, the unassuming people who face radical obstacles, right? I think it probably just relates and aligns with your story of facing the radical obstacle of trying to start a footwork company that is doing things radically different. Like that is not a, that's like a double wavy <laughs> um, and very cool. And then another question i like to ask is if you, if you could see your 18-year-old self, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? not in anything specific, not, doesn't have to be in business, just anything in life where if like you have 60 seconds with your 18 year old self to change the way that they, uh, and it could be, I've, you know, I've asked this to some people not on a podcast, but they'll give me something really small. They're like, Oh yeah, I had this really bad relationship. I never would have, I would have like, you know, tapped out or something like that. Or it can be like massive things where it's like, I wish I would have known not to do this or to do this earlier, but yeah. 18 year old golden, you have 60 seconds. What do you say?
1: Probably nothing, you know. <laughs> okay, um, that's great. I've never I mean, had that maybe, answer
0: before.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe like, um, just be patient. Like, you know, I, I believe that there's a plan for all of us, and you know, we're, we just like, just trust the plan. Like, it, it is what it is, it's supposed to be that way, and things yep. happen for a reason, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be long, and it's not going to happen as fast as you want it to happen, but eventually things will happen the way they're supposed to for a reason. And I think that applies to all of us. And I think, you know, just having that reassurance uh, at that age is, is reassurance. I always got externally from other people Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, parents and church leaders and and stuff like that. But um, you know, to hear it from yourself uh, 20 years later uh, you know, 20 year old, 20 year older self uh, would be just that much more like good, I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I, I never used to embrace that. And like two years ago, someone said, yeah, everything, if something really bad happened and they're like, everything happens for a reason, it's great. It was meant to be, I would be like, yeah, it didn't happen to you though. So what is okay. <laughs> but now I'm, now I'm, I'm a, I'm a true, I believe in my soul that even the hardest things come at a time where you need to be exposed to that hard thing in order to change your path. Like the obstacle is the way i I just yep. have internalized that. And I think when you internalize it and you look at it from that perspective, it's always for the better. So it's like, it's not actually the fact it's, if you view it that way, you create your reality. And that was like, that's a great one. I love that one. Um, cool. And then the last thing is what is Golden's morning routine? Like, what do you do when you get out of bed in the morning? Is there, <laughs> uh, is there a power habit that you do that gets your day started? Like any secret sauce there?
1: Uh, I'm a night owl. Okay, uh, cool. So I I do not, I hate the alarm. Uh, (laughs) I don't really, I'm anti-routine. Like, you know, my wife gives me crap because she's just like, you just thrive on different. You just, like you won't even run the same trail. If you ran it in the last two months, I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) You know, like I want to be doing something different all the time. Um, I'm not a routine guy. So yeah, there, there is no morning routine. Uh, There's nothing I eat. There's you know, nothing specific. Uh, So
0: the morning routine is no morning routine. I like it.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times I just, I just roll out of bed straight into whatever I'm doing and I get dressed later. Sometimes, sometimes I get dressed right away. Like it doesn't matter. Like it just, it just depends. So,
0: yeah, I'm a, I am mean, I don't know if you read uh, anti-fragile, on I mean, Nassim Taleb, but he says that like um, anti-fragility comes from radically exposing yourself to different things every day without, you know, and just embracing what comes and try and working to deal with it. Um, so yeah, very cool. Well, that very is, cool. that's a very quick 90 minutes, but uh, thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy and you um, had to turn down some some meetings that you had on the roster to do this. I much appreciate it. I love your insights. I hope that, I think people that listen to this will be, um, you know, we do have a community of people who aren't the hardcore people. Like there's a lot of health professionals that listen to this. And I think there are a lot of runners um, from the, the emails that I get, if that's a good sample, an accurate sample group. So I think they'll find the insights valuable, especially when it comes to the biomechanics and the reason that zero drop and the fact that you made zero drop up um, is powerful. And, um, you know, we don't sell ultra right now at the shop, but it was funny. We just had a meeting with the sales guys before this podcast. And I was like, yeah, I'm talking to Goldman Harper. He's the, he's the founder of ultra. And they're like, yeah, we've been meeting, talk to you about that. Uh, we think it would be good to carry something like an ultra. So I don't know if, if ultra sells I can, I can help you with that. <laughs> yeah. I figured, I figured you might be able to, I don't know what, I mean, we're not a big shop, but you know, our take is it's all about the experience. We do a, Um, one-hour appointment with each person. It's one-on-one. It was actually stimulated by COVID, but we're going to keep it like that because the people that come in and are able to spend an hour with us and learn about foot health tell so many other people about us that it's like, literally, we're just going to focus on each individual customer. And and instead of just trying to grow locations or grow for growth's sake. um, And I think that You know, you call it, I think I've heard you say it's the gateway. Maybe it was you or Sasha. Gateway drug. The the gateway drug. I think we need the gateway drugs because we're selling the hard stuff, but we might need something for people that come in and aren't fully sold because some people come in, don't buy shoes, they try stuff on. And I think they just come in to tell us why we're wrong. Especially, we've had some Podorthas, which have been very interesting, but everyone leaves with a better understanding. And maybe they don't agree completely, but they're probably, you know, oftentimes the people who leave and don't believe fully we've planted a seed and it's not long before it germinates it takes different periods of time but uh yeah we'll have yeah. to chat about that because um i think it would be very beneficial to offer some, like broaden our spectrum of what we offer and uh yeah, yeah. thanks you your so point,
1: much um yeah uh, you know the most interesting thing i've gleaned from doing all this consumer insights work lately uh is that runners do not want to drop their mileage mm-hmm. um to change shoes or for anything basically right. and uh, I think that's one place that, you know, alter could help, you know, your group specifically is, yeah. you get them into natural foot position, um, but you get them the cushion and support level. They're used to in in their old shoes, and they're able to keep running without dropping their mileage and then slowly work their way down to less and less, you know, whatever amount of protection they feel like they need long-term. Um, yeah. So that, that's where I think, you know, um, we can come in. And with that said, we didn't even get into any of the fun running stuff. Like, so know, if this is okay. successful, save it for another
0: time, <laughs> uh,
1: save it for another time. We'll talk like the way cushioning works and pronation and running surfaces and
0: love it, you know, specific
1: how foot problems happen. And then actually get a little bit more nitty gritty on, on running technique. Cause that's my baby. Um, you know, if there's one thing that I pride myself on, it's, it's, uh, being able to teach running technique oh, and it's clear and fun.
0: I love having, I love having conversations where we just go so deep in the weeds that some people might get lost, but I, that is like, it's, it's not often that I get to have conversations like that, mostly because it's just, you know, the people I do on podcasts, I want to hear their stories. Right. And we don't often get to the crazy stuff, but, uh, you know, the crazy, interesting stuff rather. Um, but yeah, I'm down to do this again. You let me know and down the road, you know, we'll let this simmer a little bit. We'll see what people think. And, uh, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time. I'll let you go and be respectful of your time, but We'll keep in touch. Uh, you know, we'll chat over the HFA meetings. But thank you, Golden. Um, and thank you for, like I said, having the courage to do some really hard stuff for the greater good. You know, you might have endured some tough years and gone to hell and back maybe multiple times. But I think that that journey, that hero's journey of doing that work is benefiting huge amounts of people. And I'm so happy when I see the success of Ultra because it really is a needed it's a needed element in the world right now, a company that is doing things because they feel that is the right way of doing it. By the, you know, It's the right way of helping people, not necessarily always the right way of maximizing profit. And that's a very refreshing perspective. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate, awesome. appreciate all that. All <laughs> right, folks. Well, I uh, hope, you, hope you found that helpful. If you're a runner out there, check out Altra. Um, if you're in Ottawa, we're going to be looking to um, add that to the repertoire and uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.